read together to remind us of where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Allowing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. My name is Matthew. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, one of the pastors here. and uh, So thankful that you're here with us. If you would, open your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Uh, up on the screen, there's a QR code. If you have your phone, you can snap, uh, open up your camera's phone and just kind of snap a picture of that QR code. It'll open up a link in your web browser where you can follow along with the sermon notes, take some of your own notes as well. Uh, and so some of you are like, no, I like it old school. I'm going to scribble it on some paper. That's what I'm talking about. That's a great option as well. I want to share a couple things with you. Number one, Tonight at 5 o'clock is our team night. So if you are serving on a team or in the process of joining a team or are like, hey, I want to be on the team. I don't like to be uh, left out and alone. Then you should come to team night tonight, 5 o'clock. We're going to start. Got some food. Child care is available. Uh, these team nights are so, so valuable for those of us who participate uh, on a team here at Faith Church because they allow us to take a moment be refreshed, hear some, something that God is saying to us. And I've got a word for us tonight. It's going to be really, really, really powerful. And uh, so if you're part of a team, be here tonight, 5 o'clock. The other thing I wanted to mention is starting in April here in just a couple of weeks, we are launching Faith Kids during our 11 o'clock service. And we're excited to be able to do that. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's starting in April. So starting, we'll have kids ministry available, all ages and environments uh, from birth through fifth grade available during this, uh, during this service. And so that's going to be great, which leads us right into April. And of course, then Easter is here and we're going to celebrate baptisms on Easter and can't wait to gather and celebrate and see how God moves among us for Easter. All right, that's enough commercials. Are you at Hebrews 11? All right, here we go. Hebrews 11. You know, as a as a pastor, and for many of you as your pastor, uh, I have a great desire to see you flourish in your life and in your faith. I always want to communicate what Scripture is saying and help us to think and listen for the ways in which we can individually apply the truth of God's Word lived out in our own personal context. Your life is different than my life. But the truth remains true. How we apply that, how we live it out, the contextualization of that may vary from people to people, group to group. And uh, there are some things that are absolutely universal, right? There are certain truths that are true, and we all want to obey God's word. I do believe I have a mandate on my life to make disciples. And I also believe that there's an assignment on my life to use the gifts that God has given to me to equip you so that you can be a disciple maker who lives in God-honoring ways in every arena of your life, no matter where you find yourself, whatever situation, whatever environment, whatever your profession, that you would live a life that honors God. 
we want, I deeply, deeply want you to have a pursuit of a loyal relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. I want you to have a deep love for the Lord. Usually, I like to prepare and have notes, and I like to internalize the message and then just get here and just share from my heart to your heart. I'm going to try to be a little bit more scripted today because there are some specific things that I believe God uh, has for me to say to you and to us today. And I want to be as clear as I possibly can. And there's some dangers in that I recognize because every time I get up and I speak, there's, there are things that I say and there are things that you hear. And sometimes they're the same and sometimes they're different. And sometimes it's the Holy Spirit working and that's a good thing. But I really do have a desire not to tell you how to live and how to think. But rather, I really want to speak God's word in a way usually that speaks to your heart and allows your heart to be transformed by the word of God. Because when your heart is transformed, it deals with all of the other areas of your life. In other words, I don't try to preach from the outside in. In other words, I'm not an issues preacher. I'm not going to get up and preach the issues and tell you how to live your life. No, I want to help your heart become more submitted, more tender, more surrendered to Jesus through his word. And all of the rest fleshes itself out. But there are practical points and points that we have to wrestle with and understand and find personal application to. And I'm going to share some things today, even how I apply certain things in my own life that are perhaps unique to me, perhaps they're not going to be unique to me. And I hesitate to do those things very often because I don't want us to become dogmatic and be like, well, this is the only way to do it, and we become legalistic. I don't want us to do that. I'm going to touch on some subject matters that speak to the cultural moment in which we find ourselves. And what I don't want us to do is come away from this understanding with a cold heart and more outrage and anger in us against the culture because we're not called to be against culture. We're called to help shift culture back towards Jesus. And that requires mercy, righteousness, and justice. It requires some things of our heart. And so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm edging into some things today that normally I, I don't perhaps edge as strongly or as specifically to. When it comes to God's word, you will hear a clear, powerful conviction and oftentimes a lot of passion. When it comes to some non-essentials or side issues or subtopics, you're going to hear me usually speak very humbly, offering some thoughts, helping us use scripture to create a grid for how we live and apply and approach the complexities and the nuances of our lives. Hear me very, very clearly. I don't believe that it is right for the pulpit or the gathering of the saints to be reduced to a political pawn. Instead, we are called I am called to be a prophetic people speaking prophetically into the culture in which we find ourselves. Not some puppet for an agenda. And there, there are these moments where I'm, I believe that we must speak 
prophetically calling us back to a faithful allegiance to Jesus and not get sidetracked because of the moment or the things or the headlines in which we find ourselves. I have no desire to point you towards conspiracy theories. I have no desire to create divisions as to who thinks this and who thinks that. I have zero desire to do those things. I just want us to be faithfully in love with Jesus and be obedient to what his word says. And sometimes there are some things that we have to sit with, think about, and just wrestle with God about. Because there's some nuance involved into the things in which we find ourselves. My prayer for you today is that you would have ears to hear. Not to be listening for what someone else needs to hear, (laughs) but what you need to hear. I'm asking that you would remove the tendency to to, to acknowledge that there is a tendency within your heart and my heart to be a bit of a rebel, to do what we want when we want, to take and make God's word say what we want it to say rather than sitting with what it does say, and we wrestle with those things. I'm asking that today as we approach some of these subjects and talk about the cultural moment in which we find ourselves, that you would hear um, not only what God's word is saying, but you would hear the messenger delivering it coming with great, great humility and compassion in my heart for everyone from all walks of life, from every spectrum of political perspective, calling us to be faithful in our allegiance and our fidelity to Jesus, not a faith of infidelity in our love for Jesus. We ought not love anything more than we love Jesus. We ought not hold any document in higher regard than we do Scripture. I love our nation. I love this land. I love being born in this moment in which we are born. I believe I'm alive and you're alive for such a time as this. And if God needed you born in another age, he would have had you born in another age. But you are here and I am here on purpose for God's purpose. And we must be faithful to the word of God. And we must be faithful to be a people who are full of mercy and compassion. Slow to anger abounding in love, as Scripture says. I think we ought to value Scripture above the Constitution. I I deeply value this land. I deeply value this place. I I deeply believe in where we are at. I don't want to live anywhere else. But I'm going to stand before God based on how I lived out the Scripture not held against any other thought. I'm not looking for a lot of loud amens today. I just ask us that we sit and we allow God's word to penetrate our hearts in every arena of our lives. I'm going to talk what seems like on both sides of things because I think we need to understand a healthy perspective and what God is saying and what God is not saying. 
And I, I hesitate to do it because sometimes I just like, here's the truth, let's go. And then let the chips fall where they may, but I really want to approach this with some loving shepherd tendencies that, that bring our sheep this way and those that are on this to bring us back this way because we must be faithful to follow the shepherd. His name is Jesus. We live in a cultural moment, though, that is wrought with wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, suffering, and conflict. The people of God are called to be countercultural, not conflict inducing, but countercultural. Not to condemn a culture, but to lovingly point a culture back towards Jesus. We must be people of integrity with internal virtue, not people of insatiable outrage. Let me say it again we must be people of profound biblical integrity not people of insatiable outrage. One author says that we are living right now in what he deems the age of outrage. Just scroll for a little bit and you'll see it. Just listen to how people talk about things, how they talk um, in uh, local commission meetings. Just listen to the tone of people's voice when they approach certain subjects. And you will hear the underlying insatiable, unquenchable desire for some outrage. He defines outrage like this, this author. He says, outrage is motivated by a desire to punish or destroy rather than reconcile and refine. It is frequently accompanied by hubris and a confidence in its judgments, categorically rejecting any nuance. Outrage is fast and decisive rather than reflective, choosing to exhibit God's retribution rather than reflect his persistent, steadfast love. We've seen many people who spent their life following Jesus, raised in a church, walk away from Jesus and walk away from the church because of the outrage demonstrated in the rhetoric of the people who claim to be the people of God. Another factor to people walking away from God and stop following Jesus is the obvious growing secularization within the church and the people of God. John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York, wrote a book called Beautiful Resistance. I highly recommend it. I took our staff through it, been reading it. It's a beautiful, beautiful work. And he, he says this, he says, the church that Jesus founded on his compassion and grace has at times failed to even resemble its founder. Celebrity pastor scandals, abuses in the Catholic church, political hijacking, indifference to the humanitarian crises of our day, including refugees, racism, and environmentalism. Materialism and complacency have caused many to just leave the church entirely. Again, friends, we must become biblically literate, which means we read the Bible. And more importantly, we let the Bible read us. This is why we talk about the Fresh Start Pathway, to help you have a guided journey step-by-step step to get to know the Bible, what it is saying and what it isn't saying. 
highly, highly recommend you take that step. We must be biblically literate, but friends, we also must be led by the Holy Spirit. In every situation, it might require a different kind of response. And not only must we be led by the Spirit, but please, please hear me. We cannot be led by the Spirit and act in a way that would be contradicting to the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which means you hit delete and don't post as often as you hit post. (laughs) As we live with integrity, being led by the Spirit, we must live that way, being integ- having integrity to the way of Jesus. Why? Why, why, why? Because we live in a cultural moment wrought with conflict and pain and human suffering and people uh, uh, linked to their belief as a new identity. And we live in this complexity uh, of society in a moment where there are so many nuanced issues where at every churn, at every corner, you want to say, yeah, but what about? And we cannot just disregard the, yeah, what about? As if we can categorically write off another human being made in the image of God. How is it that in this moment we find ourselves, how do we stand firm in a loyal love for Jesus when everything is vying for our attention and our time? What do we do when our American rights come in conflict with our Christian virtue? How do we respond to the various issues of today and headlines, whether it be an NCAA athlete winning a swimming competition whether it be people who are so committed to certain ways and ideologies and extreme to where we, we, we would be almost accused of being warmongers because we are so anxious and at the ready to pull the trigger. How do we live in this cultural moment feeling like our rights are more important than biblical commands? What does fidelity to King Jesus look like when we live in this century, in this modern time of of America where we have so many freedoms? We are living in a nation and a land where we have been given more freedom as a people than any other nation and any other people in any other point in history. What do we do with that freedom? How do we honor Jesus? How do we live in a land where we know we've been given certain freedoms based on the government in which we live, but knowing that the Bible promises persecution and suffering for the people of God at some point? And then Jesus returns. How do, how do we live trying to hold on to our comforts while at the same time knowing that there is a crucible that often we must be willing to walk through? How do we hold these self-evident ideas in a way that still honors God, that is true to the Bible, and also obedient to our assignment individually and with integrity to the personal convictions that we hold to? I happen to think that the life of Moses gives us some insight and some things to consider, a, a grid perhaps, a filter through how we could look at his life, his story of faith, to examine and help us live out our story of faith, of loyalty and love to Jesus. How's that for a segue back to Hebrews 11? 
Let me set the table for you. Hebrews 11, uh, we, we were introduced to this man named Moses. Moses was born into a cultural moment that was wrought with conflict. Ungodliness was rampant. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a couple sons. One of them was named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. The man knew how to be fruitful and multiply 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And then there was a huge famine. Joseph, one of the sons, ended up in Egypt. Long story, a lot of betrayal. If you think your family's got issues, Joseph's family had mo issues. Ends up in Egypt. And as he's sitting there in Egypt, there's, he ends up finding himself in a place where he interprets some dreams and he finds fair, favor with Pharaoh. He, Pharaoh gives him the blessing and says, I'm going to let you be ruler over everything. No one is more important in this kingdom but me. You say it, it happens, Joseph. And the Bible says, everything that Joseph touched prospered. And God used Joseph, raised Joseph up as a saving element within some things that were happening in this land. There was a, a great season of plenty and prosperity, followed by some years of severe salmon, uh, salmon, <laughs> famine and suffering. <laughs> Somehow that came out as salmon, who knew? Severe famine. People were dying because they were hungry and crops couldn't grow. But God had a person perfectly positioned to bring redemption and hope to a people. But then Joseph eventually dies. Pharaoh eventually dies. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 1, there was a Pharaoh who came into power who did not really know Joseph nor respect his God. In, in, the, in, in the end, he just began to look and say, oh my gosh, all of these Israelites, they're here everywhere. They're like rabbits multiplying all over the place. This is a problem. We're scared. We're threatened by this people. Hear me. We are threatened by this people. We must do something to subdue them and keep them from rising up against us and taking our power. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to make them slaves. And they made taskmasters and beat them and made them work. And the, the, the Hebrew people, the, the Jewish people, man, they, they, just, they were good workers. They worked hard. But when they went home, they still had some energy. And they kept multiplying. And they kept growing. Because God had blessed Abram and said, through you, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And part of the blessing that God pronounced on his family was that they would be able to be fruitful and multiply. And boy, was God's blessing being seen everywhere. And so Pharaoh says, this is a problem. Uh, here's what we're going to do. You Hebrew midwives, when you get here, there's two of them. He called them and says, when you go to a house to deliver a baby, and, when it's the, and you're at the Hebrew's house, and you're there to, to deliver their baby as a midwife, if it's a girl, pass it off to the mom. If it's a boy, kill it. And they reasoned within themselves saying, we cannot do that thing. Why? Because life begins in the womb. A life is precious. It is holy. And it's not just some organism growing inside another human being. It is a person made in the image and likeness of God, and it matters. There is a sanctity to life, friends. And so these women said, no, we, we can't do that. And so they didn't. They disobeyed the order. And then Pharaoh gets more mad and says, what's happening? Calls these midwives, what's going on? What's happening? They said, well, it's, it's amazing. These women aren't like the Egyptian women. 
they give birth and they start in labor and pop, out comes another tic tac. I mean, it's just like pop, 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 pop. They, by the time we get there, we can't do nothing about it. They're already born and moved on and we just can't do anything about it. So Pharaoh takes it a step further. And he deputizes everyone in the land essentially and says, if you see a Hebrew boy that was just born, you take it and throw it into the Nile. A couple things are happening here. I don't want us to miss it. It's really important. I'm not going to spend long on it, but I want to hit it to make you start thinking a little bit differently. There was a concerted, I'm going to say demonically influenced idea to stamp out men and masculinity in the culture. That's not to say that men are more important than women. I actually think that we have a, a really incorrect biblical view as to what womanhood actually looks like. The world has a solution. They call it feminism, but it's not really a God-honoring way of doing things. There is a different approach, and God has something to say about men and women, both genders defined specifically through Scripture as to the roles and the way in which we ought to operate and the blessing that each of us bring into humanity and into a society. I believe that to be true. And there was a concerted effort to kill these boys and to kill, kill these things. And what you ended up happening were Egyptians were, sn were, were, were now in a position where they were against the Israelites. And now you had two groups of people inward fighting against one another. Anytime the enemy can sow chaos and disorder and division, he does. Everywhere, Scripture says, there is deception and disorder and division. There you will find every evil work. The tactic hasn't, excuse me, hasn't changed. He's still up to destroying society based on fighting within a place and a land in which people live. Does that sound familiar? based on identity, based on race, based on whether you have a card that says you are vaxxed or not. Let's police ourselves and turn people against people. Hear me, church. Don't buy into it. Walk in unity. Walk in love. Walk in grace. Walk in kindness and compassion. Don't start writing off whole groups of people just because of X, Y, or Z. And this was the time in which Moses was born into. See how his life might reveal some things to us in our life. This is what Hebrews 11 says as it relates to Moses' life. It says, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months while he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on along going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. 
Man, what a, what a powerful verse. What's happening in Moses' life? Moses was born. Moses' parents decide to hide him. They hid him away for three months. He got to the point where he was getting a little too big and a little too noisy and a little too much movement to keep him hidden anymore. And so they decide, you can read the story in Exodus chapter 2, they make a basket, they uh, make it uh, waterproof as best they could. They put it in him in a basket and send him down the Nile River. What happens? Pharaoh's daughter is out in the, in the river, happens to see something in the distance, goes and grabs the basket. She doesn't grab it. She's got other people to do that. Somebody goes and grabs the basket, brings it to her, and she says, oh, look how unusual and beautiful this baby is. I'm going to keep this one for myself. Brings him in, names him Moses, and raises him up in her household as an Egyptian. When Moses grew... And that was the story of Moses. That's the snapshot that we get here in this part. And it was by faith that all of these things took place. And it's a really beautiful thing. Let me give you three things as best I can, as quickly as I can, and yet as clearly as I can, that we can learn from Moses' story as it relates to our story. I know I've given us plenty to think about already, and you're already pondering and wondering and thinking in this, but hang with me for the next few minutes as we bring some application and some specifics to this. Number one, I want you to see that Moses' parents looked at their son with eyes of faith, seeing his potential instead of the problems around them. They saw the potential in the child, not the problems with having a child. They saw with eyes of faith. And what they saw was his potential and perhaps his purpose. And they acted in correspondence to what they believed God was asking them to do for him. They preserved their son. Parents, we must have a prophetic sense as it relates to the God-given purpose and the redemptive potential of our children. We're not just raising any old kids to be good citizens. No, we are raising ambassadors for the kingdom of God who are born for such a time as this to speak and declare and live in a life that honors God in the cultural moment that they will live in. We must be willing to preserve our kids' faith, protect their innocence, and look at the potential of our children with faith, not based on what everyone else is doing to raise their kids, but what has God asked us to do in response to raising them in our household. Think about it, friend, parents. Let me, let me help you with a couple of practical thoughts on this. They will have many friends, but only one set of parents. When you have a choice between being their friend and being their parent, be their parent. There will come a season and a stage where they're out of the house where the friendship and the companionship and, and you really get to help cheer them on and coach them. It's a beautiful stage in life. But while they are under your roof and under your care at every stage along the way, just know they need you to be the parent, not try to be their friend who gives them their preference. I think we ought to be hands-on, not hands-off. And by hands-on, I don't mean controlling and manipulating and protecting and keeping them from harm. Give them safe opportunities to grow and express and learn, recognizing that every child in your care is different than the other child, and it might require a different approach. 
I think you need to have a grip on their technology. Know what they're watching and what they're not watching. Know what they're posting and what they're not posting. Know what they're scrolling and seeing and what they're not scrolling. Know what the video games are that they're playing. Get a grip on their technology. Help them have boundaries and set limits and develop healthy routines and rhythms. And then parents, model that same behavior. Friends, remember, I, I believe with all of my heart that children are a gift from God that we steward. And as something that we steward, you need to hear this, we are responsible for everything before God that he placed in our hand to steward, including the children that he gave us as a gift. So let's look at their potential, not the problems. Let's look with eyes of faith, not eyes of unbelief. Uh, uh, Let's look with our children and see not that we have a a strong-willed, stubborn child, but we have a child who, if we will look prophetically, that God wants to shape that stubbornness into someone who knows how to hold a standard in a world that's shaky and always compromising. It's, it's the eyes of faith, not the eyes of unbelief. Let's look at a, at a son who's wild and crazy and animated and, and look at, see, this is a potential leader who can influence other people. Let's look with eyes of faith at our kids, not eyes of the problems and the pains and the headaches and the gray hairs that they cause us. Let's get a word from God as to who we're raising and who he's asked us to steward. They looked with eyes of faith. Here's, here's the second thing parent, his parents did. They acted without fear, disobeying Pharaoh's order. They defied the order, but they weren't defiant. They weren't accusatory. They weren't ugly. They weren't posting about it on social. They they may have defied it, but they weren't defiant. Holding Christian conviction with a heart of honor, not one full of hate. Whether you voted for the governing authority or not, honor. There are, I think it's important that we learn how to hold a standard of God's word and the commands of scripture without speech that is overly sarcastic, overly spiteful, and reeks of disrespect. If you're going to complain and gossip, just know that doesn't honor God and God isn't bound to help you in that process. Let me say it another way. God hates gossip. Like, it's in the Bible. Look it up. He ain't a fan. You know what else he doesn't like? Those who sow discord division among the brothers. I think we need to hold to a standard, but also hold our speech to the same honorable standard. There are biblical commands to honor, respect, and obey governing authorities. There are more biblical commands that as people of God that we honor, we obey, and we respect the governing authorities and the authorities in our life, in our workplace, in our schools, in our homes. There are more biblical commands to honor and obey than there are to defy it. Way more. Which means that there is some biblical room to do civil disobedience like we see here by, uh, by Moses' parents. 
But there is a large, more majority of Scripture that doesn't give us that free nilly willy because our preferences aren't being treated, our voice isn't being heard, we do whatever we want and create stink in the process. Are we tracking? There is a difference between biblical commands and personal convictions. There are some things that are biblical commands. There's some things that are personal convictions. You need to make sure you have both. And both need to be informed by the, by the word of God. And both need to be informed by the spirits leading in your life based upon your calling and purpose and assignment in your life. They're going to be different. There was a season in time where uh, people, uh, where it's easy for church people to confuse personal convictions for biblical commands. I'll give you an example. Uh, it used to be considered against biblical uh, lifestyle to play cards especially a deck of cards, you know, that they would use in the casinos. Like, you could play Old Maid with, like, cartoon illustrations, but you better not be playing Old Maid and Go Fish with those deck of cards. I, I don't have a problem if you play cards. I don't think the Bible has a problem with you play cards. I think that the caution... And the conviction was we ought not be gambling things away. We ought not be frivolous with our finances. If you want to play penny poker, play penny poker. I don't care. You want to play the lotto, play the lotto. I don't happen to believe that it's the best use of stewardship of the money that God has placed you, but whatever. You want to play $10 buy-in with your friends in Texas? Hold them. I don't care. It better not ruin your budget. And it better not create conflict in your marriage. Those are some filters to think about personal convictions. Not There's nowhere in Scripture do you actually see that God says, Thou shalt not play a deck of cards and put money on the line for it. Like, I think there's some wisdom there. We cannot treat personal convictions like they are biblical commands and then ask everyone around us to be policed to live according to the standards that God has asked us to live. I'll give you another one. Alcohol. I don't believe that drinking alcohol is forbidden in Scripture. In fact, it's actually quite the opposite. What is forbidden in Scripture is getting drunk. If you can't drink alcohol without getting drunk, you have a problem. You need to repent and you need to get help. You're transgressing some things of God, and, and there are ways in which you do that. I, I, I don't have a problem. If you want to drink some wine, drink some wine with dinner. You, alcoholic beverage, that's, that's, that's a personal conviction issue, not a biblical command. I think there are good practices. There are good wisdom to use. Like if you have a, a tendency to have an addictive personality, you probably ought not go anywhere near the stuff. Just live with some wisdom. People in your family have an issue. If your spouse has an issue, you, you probably ought to act with a little more self-control. And be aware, if you're underage, it's not okay for you, right? Because there are some rules and some laws of the land, right? We're still under those things. We have to be careful between biblical commands and personal convictions. But, but what about when there are personal convictions that are formed because of a biblical command and the governing authorities are asking us to do things, commanding us to do things, that transgressive biblical command. What then? How do we approach that one, Pastor? Come back next week and I'll tell you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
I counted six different times that the Bible records civil disobedience in Scripture. And from those six occasions, including this one here in Exodus that we read about in the life of Moses, there's some guiding principles that help us in those moments. Let let me give you some of those in bullet point form. I think Christians should resist a government that commands or compels evil and should work nonviolently within the laws of the land to change a government that permits evil. Disobedience is not the same as revolting, though. Retribution. Violent retribution. Those are not the same. Civil disobedience seems to be permitted when the government laws or commands are in direct violation of God's laws and commands. If a Christian disobeys an evil government, unless he can flee from the government, he should accept that government's punishment for his actions. And Christians are certainly permitted, I believe, to work to install new government leaders within the laws that have been established in that land. Let me give you some examples. My life. Is, is this helpful? Whether it is or not, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I, think, I think we have to think about this, friends. If ever there was a clear contradiction to a biblical command, as a pastor, as a, in my life, and my role, Whatever my action would be, I guarantee you a few things. One, I would do so with honor. Listen to the language in Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel himself, who had to defy orders of the governing land in Babylon multiple times. Listen to the language and how they spoke to their leaders. Some of us, I've already hit on it. I'm not going to harp. We need to watch our mouths. We just need to. How we talk, how we question, how we go about finding information locally, within our state, within our nation. We need to be careful. I guarantee you I would do so with an honor and a contrite heart, not a rebellious attitude cloaked in perceived American freedom. That's how I would respond. But, let, but I would hold to a standard of God's word. I would absolutely filter it through my assignment and my purpose in life. Always asking along the way, God, what, what would you have me do? Let me give you a bit of a sensitive illustration. If ever the government said, if you're going to have a 501c3 status and you're going to be able to be classified as clergy within the IRS government, which comes with certain uh, opportunities and means certain things, financially more specifically. In other words, 501c3, that allows you to give and receive tax donation write-offs for it. Those, those kinds of things. Implication. If ever the government said, if you're going to keep those statuses, then you must perform ceremonies of civil unions 
that contradicts what you believe the Bible teaches between one man and one woman? We would forego our 501c3. We would do so with a broken heart, with humility, with honor. We would follow through all of the things to try to get to change and to get, we, we, we would walk the line absolutely, but at the end of the day, we would do it, we would forego it, and we would still gather and worship and love everyone of every tribe, tongue, gender. We're going to love and give compassion and serve. Absolutely. But you better know we're going to do so with fear and trembling in our heart. Be as creative as we possibly can to be honoring of God's word, but yet respecting our authorities. And we're going to pray. If you want to gripe and complain about our nation, you want to gripe and complain about the things, but you're not on your face praying genuine prayers that God would change their heart, that people would have an encounter with God on a road to Damascus like Saul had. And you just want to get on Facebook and harp about local government and harp about national government or harp about this issue and that thing, and you want to post sarcastic memes about other things, but you're not on your face praying for, for God to change some hearts. You're not walking in obedience to God's word. Jesus said, pray for those who spitefully use you and are your enemies. Paul commands us in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we would pray for our authorities. In Romans 12, we're to honor them, obey the emperor, submit to our authorities, to love the brethren, to do good everywhere we go. Again and again and again, he's coming for your heart. And most of what I see in our land and our nation where we want to rise up and be civil disobedience is nothing more than arrogance and an unbroken heart. And we call it, I'm standing for truth. Yeah, but you're doing it without any mercy. Righteousness holds a standard. Mercy shows love in our tone and compassion. And justice is willing to take some actions to work to make it better for others. we got to have all three if we're going to walk in the way of Jesus, friends. Here's the last thing. And this is the most hopeful of them all. Moses' parents, they acted alone. They acted alone. No other parents were doing this. This is what God was asking them. They acted alone. But they kept their eyes on God as he worked on their behalf. Moses got to be raised up in Pharaoh's home, had the privilege had the opportunity, had the education to be a leader of influence. He, he had all of those things available for him. Pharaoh's daughter was the one who rescued him out of the water. When she rescued him out of the water, his, Moses' sister was there and says, oh, hey, do you need someone to nurse the baby? I know just the person. Who do you think that was? That was Moses' biological mom. She got to be the, the one who nurses and nurtures and sing over him and speak life over him. She got to be a part of his process raising up. God was orchestrating good amidst the complete tragic suffering of his people. He, here's what I believe, friends. Don't miss this. God will work his good purposes within the subterrain of our situations when the surface is wrought with problems and pain. 
Because God is always at work honoring His Word and those who obey His Word. He's going to work good in your situation. That means if there's going to be a, a loss because you're standing up for biblical righteousness, God's going to come through and make a way for you. You don't have to circumvent it. You don't have to try to cheat the code. You don't have to try to work it, do backroom deals. You can live with integrity and watch God do the work on your behalf. Nowhere in Scripture, hear me, was God holding accountable the other Israelites who lost their children. The parents who didn't act the same way that Moses' parents act. Hear me, God wasn't holding them accountable for their children being killed for the infanticide that was happening. You know who was responsible for that evil? Not those who were complicit, not those bystanders. It was Pharaoh himself who's going to be judged for that. It's on him. Friends, when we stand to the standard of God's word, living with integrity even when it costs us personally, God is working in the subterrain of our situations when the situation on the surface is wrought with problems and pain. I believe the sovereignty of God isn't necessarily seen through the biblical narrative when he is executing every action, but rather through the lens where we see God working within all things, not working as the executor of all things. Friends, when pain and suffering come your way, may we be like Moses and keep our eyes on the one who is invisible. May we stand for righteousness, live a God-honoring life with all integrity, allowing our tone to be full of compassion and mercy and watching God work on our behalf as we honor him with everything. This is the story of Moses' faith. May it be the story of our faith too. Would you stand with me? I encourage you this week to go read Romans chapter 8 where it says creation itself is groaning for, for God to be revealed. When conflict groans, may we see God work and move. If you would go ahead and begin to open up your communion elements. We're coming to the table. You can open up the top layer and get the wafer out and then Go ahead and open up the next layer and get the juice. We'll partake in just a minute. Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes for a minute? Some of us, maybe the Lord is speaking through his spirit today, just saying, your heart, it's grown hard, full of outrage and anger and angst. And God is wanting to soften your heart and break your heart for some things. Maybe some of us, we're at a place where we've just kind of been ignoring it. Our head's been in the sand and we've been living without a standard, without integrity, without living up to the ways of God. And God is saying, I'm calling you upward now. My prayer today is that all of us would be like Moses and we would keep our eyes fixed on the one who is invisible. 
Friends, the best way I know how to keep my eyes on Jesus is to keep a song in my heart and coming out of my mouth. It's our worship. It's our songs. It's our anthems. It helps us keep our eyes on Jesus. Father, as we stand here at the table, we recognize, God, that the bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. His blood was poured out for us. Jesus, you showed us exactly what we're supposed to do with the freedoms that you've given us. Called to serve and to love and to heal and be menders of the brokenness and to be restorers of the wall and those who point people back towards righteousness, mercy, and justice. Jesus, that's what we want to do. That's who we want to be. And Lord, we are recommitting our lives in this moment to you, Jesus. Lord, where we have strayed, where we have loved other things more than we loved you, Lord, would you forgive us today? God, where we have grown angry in our own selves because something has gone against what we want, God, would you help us to trust you again and help you see your, your word and your ways come about in our lives. Father, today we stand here with the bread, recognizing that it represents your body broken for us so that we could be a part of restoring and healing the brokenness in our world. Lord, we receive it with gratitude today, remembering your sacrifice. Let's take the bread together. And Lord, today as we lift the cup, we recognize that it's your blood that's, that cleanses us, that saves us, that makes us right, that gives us that grace, God, that we need. So Lord, may we receive your grace so that we can impart grace to others too. Thank you for this cup of blessing. We receive it and remember your your blood poured out. Let's take it together. Now, Father, I pray that you would bless us and keep us. Would you make your face shine on us and be gracious? Would you lift your countenance, your joyful countenance towards us and give us your peace? I pray, Lord, that everywhere we go, we would be reminded that we are loved by you, that your spirit empowers us to live a godly life, and that we have the opportunity to love others like you loved us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all the people said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.